Welcome to Decoding Sales, a podcast where a salesperson and an engineer talk about sales. We're going to decode what really goes on in the sales process and find not just how sales works, but actually how a lot of the concepts in sales apply much more generally. In this episode, we're going to talk about the importance of transparency and authenticity in the sales process. My name is Alex Elaine. I'm the engineer. My name is Peter Ahn, and I'll be the salesperson. All right. Well, let's get kicked off. Maybe do just a quick background. Peter and I work together at Dropbox. Peter closed Dropbox's first enterprise deal back in 2013, and I helped with some of the engineering side of that. And Alex, you're so helpful. I think the thing that I remember from that time is how collaborative you were, how you took the time to explain things to me in a way that a salesperson could articulate, understand, and and convey to customers. So years later, when you approached me for help on, on your current venture, volunteering for U.S. Digital Response, I jumped at the opportunity and And as you know, we found that there's a lot of similarities. And and I just got so excited talking about how your experience today in a volunteer organization is actually highly relevant to to some of the things that I saw in enterprise sales cycles. I think that's a a great way to kick this off. One of the things I was thinking about as I was preparing for this conversation was a lot of people think of sales as like a very icky kind of everyone's coin operated, as you were describing it, like follow the manual make people do things they don't want to do so that you can get a commission. Yes. And that's not how I think of you. Oh, thank you. I'm glad. (laughs) I think your approach, for example, is one that feels much more rooted in what feels like a a collaborative process. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that I've spent a bunch of time thinking about, and I'm curious your take on this, it seems like there's a whole lot of kind of human processes that have Mm -hmm. the same shape. You've got a person who Mm -hmm. has a thing and there's a set of people who might benefit from that thing. So maybe Mm -hmm. it's, I have a job opening as an engineering manager and there's a bunch of possible candidates or you have a product that you're selling or with US Digital Response, I have a bunch of volunteers who really want to help and we just want to figure out how can we help and how do we connect with people. But in all of those cases, you have this dynamic where there's sort of one framing of it. It's the, the salesman who's going to, you know, I don't know. I'm just imagining like the person who just wants to get to the top and full of yeah. testosterone and adrenaline and just get people to do the thing they don't want to do. And if you put yes. that in a recruiting context, I've seen what happens there. Yeah. And it's a disaster because you convince that person maybe to join your team if they don't sort of see through that. Yeah. But then whatever you sold them is not what they actually expected. And they're not happy. The playbook driven, the coin operated, the robotic salesperson is all about selling at all costs and oftentimes uses deception to get the deal done. What I fundamentally believe and what I feel like has worked through my personal relationships and my business relationships is everybody can win if Mm -hmm. both sides are transparent. And the reason is because eventually people will find out the aspects of the deal that aren't transparent, you know, in this day and age, especially. Mm -hmm. So I've always rooted my, my deal psychology, my teachings with the salespeople who, you know, I've mentored to really keep that in mind. You have nothing to lose if you're always truthful and the nothing to lose. I'm not going to say you're never going to lose a deal because you'll lose a lot of deals, right? If you're transparent, but the deals that you win are going to far and above make up for the deals that you lose. And the deals that you lose are not deals that you should have been following anyways, because at the end of the day, people are going to find out what's good for them and what's not. You're just there as a facilitator to make sure you're presenting the information transparently and accurately 
from the beginning. And the best salespeople facilitate that truth-finding exercise, I think, in a way that feels collaborative. It's not just to be a one-way transfer of information. It's to weigh two sides of a coin, weigh two sides of a relationship, and figure out, based off of all the information, if this is a deal worth happening or not. You know, if I were to boil this down, you're sort of saying, like, let's have our two companies come together in a relationship. And let's talk about what do we value in a relationship? It's like, do you want to have kids? You want to move to the suburbs? You yes. Know? Yeah, no, that's such a good analogy. It's like dating, right? The most fruitful relationships are those where you're both transparent about the future. Yeah, that's right. And on yeah. the flip side of that, sometimes when you do talk about a challenge with someone else, that's what builds the most trust because now they know that you'll tell them when something is not what they want to hear. And so they know when you're telling them what they actually do want to hear. Now they know it's true. That's true. Yeah, yeah. It's like a good trust building experience. And then when you really need something and you really need to ask for a favor, people are more willing to help you because they understand you're being truthful. I always like to talk about vulnerability too in a sales process or a business relationship because I think it's intermingled with transparency because there are certain situations where as a salesperson, your hands are really tied. Even if you want to get something done, you just absolutely cannot, right? Mm -hmm. And so situations like that become more productive for you if you've been truthful along the way. I'll give you a very specific example. Let's say, you know, I'm selling a deal and I gave this organization a really amazing discount. Let's say it's 40%. And then three days before we're supposed to get the signature, the buyer on the other side is like, hey, Peter we can't get this deal done unless we take that discount from 40 to 50%. You know, in a lot of cases, if you're a salesperson listening to this, three days before you're supposed to get a signature, to get from 40 to 50% is an impossibility, unless you want to torpedo your career at that company and be known as the guy who always asks for last minute favors internally. Now, if you've been truthful throughout the way and it's been a good discussion, you can say, you know, Alex, I understand you need that. And if I could, I would definitely get that done for you. But internally, it's an impossible situation. We've never had a situation where three days before the deal, we can change discounts that amount. So we've done a lot together. We've been through a lot of situations. You can even name the different situations you've been through. I've done that before, right? Tell a story. It's like, hey, you know, back when we were working on SSO, Alex was working seven hour nights just to get that done. That was a favor I had to ask of Alex. This is not something he normally does in his day job to stay up until 3 a.m. to get that done, (laughs) right? Even getting to 40%, you have to understand I had to go to three executives to get that sort of approval. And it's unprecedented for an organization your size to have that. Now, I'm still excited to have gotten that for you because I think your company means a lot more for us than, than a discount number. But that all being said, at this juncture, I really can't move that anymore. So either let's get the deal done or... If not, tell me why that's now changing from 40 to 50%. Because it's three days before we're supposed to sign it. Unless there's a super compelling reason, there's just no way we're going to be able to come into a partnership. And as much as I would like to, and as much as we've both invested so much time into this, at this point, it just might make sense for us to part ways. That was intense. <laughs> Let's just sorry, stick to like- 40%, man. I got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you felt it, right? Yeah. If you're listening to that on the other side, you're like, oh my gosh, let me do some more work just to keep it 40%. He's right. Both sides have already committed so much. It's not about going from 40 to 50%. It really isn't. It's about the time investment on both sides. 
And probably the reason why it goes from 40 to 50% is because of some political reason, some individual who decided last minute they wanted to haggle for a little bit more, right? And those are easy to dust away if you're able to be confident in how you're telling the story. I Anyways. think that that's such a great example of, of how the human relationship plays such a key role in these decisions that you sort of think of as naively as a non-salesperson. You look at it and you're like, oh, it's a number. You argue about the number, but there's so much more behind that. So Peter, one of the things I'm really taking away from our discussion so far is that you have to be okay walking away from some deals and, and really yeah. not sweating the fact that not every situation is one that's a good mutual arrangement. Yeah. And, and you know, there's this concept called strip lining that allows you to step away from deals. Do you want to tell us what that is? Yeah, sure. So let me see if I can, ex- I feel like I explain it differently every time. But as I told you, the best fishermen out there, if you notice what they do, when they actually put bait on the hook and they put the hook out into the sea or into the river, wherever you're fishing, oftentimes when a fish actually catches on to that bait, really experienced fishermen, instead of pulling that fish into the boat, will let the slack go. And the reason for that is because psychologically what happens to the fish, it's funny that I'm talking about fish psychology, but (laughs) what happens is the fish thinks that there's no hook at the end of that bait because it's not being pulled. So the fish actually clamps down harder, even though the fisherman's letting go. So in sales, what this translates into is if you ever feel like a customer is interested in a deal and and gives a little bit of hesitation to sign the deal or gives a little bit of pushback in terms of why they should actually move forward with what you're selling, what you should do is not try and sell them and pull them in. What you should actually do is push them away from you because psychologically what happens is they think, oh, why is this person actually not selling this to me? Why is this person okay with me not buying the platform? And they think critically about, okay, do I really think this is a concern or do I want Peter as a salesperson to continue talking to me because this is definitely what I need? So, I so a scenario to do that, right? Definitely takes some courage, but it's such a powerful feeling that once you figure out how to do it in your own voice, you do it every step of the way. But oftentimes people think that strip lining happens at this like crazy climax of the deal where like people are at the negotiation table and you know they, they have their pens out and they're both about to sign and then somebody walks away. That's not the case. Strip lining actually helps every step of the way. So I'll give you an example of this. Even on a first call, let's say I'm showing you my product, Alex, and you're wowed by the demo. You're like, oh, this is amazing. You're starting to grab onto the bait. And you're like, I can see how this can be used across my engineering team in multiple ways. I love it. But the thing is, the price, Peter, is way too high. There's no way I'm going to pay $1,000 per user per month. Like That is not at the industry standard that I'm used to seeing across five other vendors that I've already seen. This is the first call, but you can still strip line. So what I would say in that scenario is, you know, if pricing really is a determining factor for why you're going to work with us, I would probably say you should talk to the other vendors you mentioned. We do price ourselves at a premium because of all the factors you just mentioned around the use cases that we're able to support. You really like the UI. You really like how reliable it is. That's why we're placed at a premium price. But if that price is not going to work for you because of budget reasons or whatever other reasons, I'm curious to hear why that won't work, then it might make sense for us just to talk at another time or, or maybe save each other some time and not continue these discussions. 
that is strip mining. And nine out of 10 times, if they really truly are excited about what you showed them, they will figure out an excuse to say price actually isn't the reason that they would stop talking to you. And then the beautiful thing happens, that comes back around, even though that's a first call, your pricing negotiations all of a sudden become smoother because he's gonna bring in his procurement person or he's gonna bring in somebody else. And then you say, hey, remember Alex, in the first call I did mention that price isn't something that we're gonna be able to budge on very much. And so hopefully you can tell your procurement officer that this is a premium platform because of the reasons you and I agreed on. So that is strip lining in action. And we can go through multiple examples, but hopefully that helps wrap people's head around like the concept and when it can be used and how it can be used. Well, you know, I think in that example, you also answered a question that I had, which is great. (laughs) One of the things you sort of answered for me in, in that example, I was thinking you first hear it and you're like, oh, so sales is all about conflict avoidance. But what you're describing is not conflict avoidance. You're explaining the nut of the situation. You're saying, well, look, if this is what matters, you're right. Mm -hmm. You should probably do something else. This is what we offer. This is why that price is there, which is leaning into the conflict at the same time as saying, here's how I think you should think about this decision. You're right. Sales is all about accelerating the conflict points Mm. in the discussion and then being able to diffuse them as fast as you brought them to fruition. Because Because the worst thing that can happen is if I'm thinking about this from an engineering recruiting perspective. Somebody declines your offer for a reason you didn't hear about. Exactly. Yeah. And then maybe you didn't ask the right question. Maybe there was something you could have asked. I think that that concept of like sales is all about bringing up and diffusing the conflicts is such a great way to to put it. I believe in free markets and the exchange of goods and services. And every exchange of goods and services happens because two sides found a win-win outcome. Or one side manipulated the other side, I suppose. But hopefully, (laughs) hopefully that the culture and the a lot of what we've been talking about shows why that probably isn't a good long term game to be playing. And, you know, I think that to get to those win win outcomes, there are a lot of hurdles. And so what Mm -hmm. you're describing is like that sales is the process of eliminating those conflicts that allow you to find that solution to the mutual exchange of goods and services that makes both sides better off than when they started. You know, in the role that I'm playing with U.S. Digital Response, I'm kind of this engineer, but wearing like this sales hat. So I came to you yes. and I was like, Peter, what, <laughs> what, do I, what am I doing here? Yeah. And, and not sales even in a way of like trying to get people to give us money. Just to be clear, we're entirely pro bono, but it's the same structural challenge. You know, price is only one hurdle in a deal as I'm learning, as you know, as we're talking through, I'm like, oh yeah, of course, this makes sense. Yes. There's stakeholders, there's people on the other end that you can't necessarily control, that you need your champion to impact. And then there's resources, right, on your end and on the on the other side's end. That's right. Yeah, I mean, I think we have a lot more topics to cover. <laughs> so, Peter, just to close this out, you know, what kind of advice would you give to somebody starting out in a sales-like role, mm-hmm. either a sales or any role where you're, you have this dynamic where two humans or two organizations are coming together yeah. to figure out if it's a good mutual fit. Yeah. My number one advice is be yourself because if you're not natural, if you don't have the idiosyncrasies of talking to somebody as a human being, people are going to see through it and they're going to trust you less. And that leads into my second point. In order for people to trust you, just be honest about everything, about what you know and what you don't know. There's tons of things that you don't know that your prospect will know and vice versa. And it doesn't behoove you to 
pretend like you know what you're talking about. And so I would keep those things in mind. We're all human, but as long as you're able to get to the truth, as long as you're able to facilitate that and collaborate internally to get the information that whoever your prospect is is trying to get, you'll have success. And, and hopefully that's simple enough for, for people to follow. Great. Well, in subsequent episodes, we're going to talk a lot more about the art of sales and how the thought process and the, the techniques can apply really broadly. And I, I think this is a great episode to start with because transparency, authenticity are some of the foundations for really any kind of negotiation that is principled and, and merits-based. And, and I think when you get down to it, that's a, what so much of life turns yeah. out to be. 